The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. And so you can find your place there in chapter 3. We're only going to look at a few verses here. Really, it's going to look very similar to our first Sunday in the book of Jonah, as you'll soon see. But what we have learned so far has been many great things. First, that God does not wait on us, that he does not wait for us to be cleaned up, to be, to be perfect, to get our act together, for him to reveal his word to us, to come and confront us and call us to action. Jonah responds to God's word as it comes to him with, with disobedience. He actually flees from God and runs from God's presence. He rebels. And he's apprehended, as we know, by a, a massive storm. And he's thrown overboard by his sailors on this ship that he is using to flee from God. And he is swallowed by the great fish. And he's in the great fish for three days. And God talks to this fish. It says that he actually speaks to the fish. And the fish spits out Jonah onto dry land. He cries out to God for salvation and he's spit out. When we think of Jonah, of course, we think of Jonah and the big fish. We think of this episode that we just covered last week. Now, we have two chapters left in the book of Jonah and four weeks, including today, and we're not going to see this fish ever again. So this book is so much more than Jonah and the big fish. It teaches us so much more about God and about ourselves. Chapter 3 begins almost the same way that chapter 1 begins. This sentence should look familiar to you. Let's read chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Remember in chapter 1 we read that similar, here's, here's chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The difference in this second part of this chapter 3, starting out chapter 3, starts the same way with one difference. Instead of rebelling from God, Jonah is obedient and listens to God and does what he says. You know, this would be a great opportunity for God to start over and to find somebody else. We know this journey that Jonah's been through. He's rebelled and been disobedient. God has disciplined him. He's been through a lot. And this would be a perfect time. If God was looking for an out with Jonah, this would be it. He would spit him out on a dry land and say, All right, Jonah, you've learned your lesson. Now go and be well and have a good life. This would be God's out. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't abandon Jonah, but he actually does something very different. He is determined to be committed to Jonah. He's determined to be committed towards reaching Nineveh and bringing this message of salvation and repentance to Nineveh. And he's determined to use Jonah as a means of accomplishing that. Wouldn't you say that determination is somewhat of a characteristic that we don't see a lot today? I mean, people are giving up on their marriages. They're giving up on relationships. They're giving up on, on their dreams and goals. They're, they're giving up on, on friendships. They're giving up at work. I mean, people, it's just so easy to just to give up. Isn't it hard to come by someone that is truly determined to reach a goal, to reach a destination, to, to accomplish what they set out to accomplish. Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines determination as this, 
a firm or fixed intention to achieve a desired end. So rare to see that as a characteristic in somebody's life. And you know, you may have someone in your life that is like that. And I apologize, many like you, I'm in a cloud of pollen right now. And so forgive me if I'm sounding like Barry White or it's going to get worse as the sermon goes on, I guarantee it. Do you know what happens though when we see determination at its heart? We're inspired by it. We want to follow that. We want to be a part of that. We truly feel like we're in the presence of something good and unique. And I would even say that we're probably more impressed by determination than by talent, than by success. We're more motivated by someone that actually has this determination and perseverance to achieve these goals. Have you heard of a a school called Florida Gulf Coast University? I guarantee two months ago, no one heard of that school. But now you're saying, oh, yeah, FGCU. Yeah, good school, good school, good program. Yeah. You don't know. Who's Florida Gulf Coast University? For those of you who are in the dark here, you know, Florida Gulf Coast University was a 15-seed men's basketball team in the men's basketball tournament in March. And they, were, they made NCAA history. They were the first 15-seed team to ever advance to the Sweet 16 level of the tournament. They, their first game, they beat number two Georgetown. Then they beat San Diego State, and they got to the Sweet 16. No one has ever done that as a 15-seed. We saw this, and, and, and people just rallied around them. They, they, they had this determination to accomplish this goal, and they kept advancing. And you know what? The next day, when they beat number two Georgetown in this improbable game, in this improbable victory, the next day, their apparel sales rocketed 1,000%. Literally 1,000%. The campus store, you know, we have at the U of A, we have this, this, there's a campus store, but this school, FGCU, is so much smaller, and they have a little, on, they have a little campus apparel store, and they have a little online uh, sales that they do. And each day, their average sales are 20 to 30 transactions. And that next day, they had over 500 transactions at this little store on campus. The week following, they had an increase of clicks on a particular page on their website, an increase of 400%. And it's, the, and it's a page that you would not think would be the likely page for people to click on. It was the link that said, Prospective students. Crazy. 400% increase. People want to go there. Never heard of it, but I want to be there. I want to be a part of what they're doing. When we see this determination, it just it does something in us. It makes us feel alive. It makes us feel like there's, there's something worth living for, worth fighting for, worth suffering for. And we say, let me be a part of that. And now, through this process, Jonah realizes something about God that he possibly didn't grasp at first. That God is dead serious about getting a message to Nineveh. And he is dead serious about using Jonah to do it. And I'm sure that Jonah is is understanding that now in a way that he didn't understand before. 
that God's determined and God will accomplish what he sets out to do. And there is nothing that is going to weaken God's passion, desire, commitment, determination to accomplish his goals. God will accomplish every single goal that he sets out to do in you or in his will, in the world, in his creation. He demonstrates this determination. God demonstrates this determination in our passage by by really giving three commands. Some people would criticize these three-point sermons, but God uses them, so I'm going to use it as well. These are expressions of his determination. He says, arise, go, and listen. Let's look at the first one. God tells Jonah, arise. He says, arise. Now, this is a potent word. This is a word with imagery here that is more than just a posture of someone's position. It's more than just someone that's laying down that is now standing up. Because we can imagine, we don't know when Jonah received this second word from God. We don't know. It could have been, I mean, Jonah is spit out. He's full of just whale saliva, and he's laying on the beach, and God says, arise. It could be then, but it could be a lot later than then. We just don't know. But, for instance, God is calling Jonah to change from a position of, of idleness, of, of being idle, to a position of action, a position of being commissioned, and a position before God to do something. What God is saying is, Jonah, even though you have run from me, even though I have disciplined you and caused you to have this great trial, to go through this worst time of your life, I still desire to use you for a very important task. I still desire for you to be in my presence and to be used by me in important ways. You know, this word, this, this Hebrew word that Jonah uses, arise, is so abundant in the Old Testament. It's used by God so abundantly throughout the Old Testament that you would think that God's people never sat down, that they were just always standing up, ready to do something for God. There are 39 books in the Old Testament. And I searched, I was curious, how often does this exact word and this exact imperative command occur in the Old Testament? And I found that it occurs in 34 of 39 books, if I counted correctly. Almost every book of the Old Testament, God is telling his people to arise. And it's more than just stand up and be ready to listen. It is here that we see this word depicts so much of God's grace to people who continually rebel against God and find themselves in a position of disobedience and weakness. God is telling them to arise. If, if communicating to Nineveh was all that God cared about, if all that God cared about was, was bringing a message of, of salvation to this particular city, God could have done that with anybody. In fact, he could have done it without anybody. He could have done it through some other means. We see that in in Scripture all the time. He could have done it through an angel. He could have done it through uh, a miracle. He could have done it through some natural phenomenon. He could have done it in so many ways. But he comes to Jonah, and he says, Even though you've rebelled from me, you've wandered from me, you have been explicitly clear that you want to get away from me, I am recommissioning you. I am involving myself in your life. And only God can do that to a person. Only God can raise up a sinful person and say, Arise, 
Be a part of what I am doing. I'm calling you to something great. Only God can do that in a person. This is the difference between what religion says and what the gospel says to us. Religion says God comes to you and changes you so that you can be of greater use to God. But the gospel says God comes to you and changes you so that God can be of greater use to you. Jonah, or God is not done with Jonah for Jonah's sake. God is not done with Jonah because God wants Jonah to know something about him. He's saying, you need me, Jonah. You need me to awaken your spirit and, and, and resurrect your heart that is dead against me. You need me to call out a command to you that says, wake up, arise, be new. And only God can do that for Jonah and for us. God pursues Jonah's rescue. He disciplines him. He spits him back on a dry land. He commissions him back into his plans to reach Nineveh, all to communicate this one thing. Even when you cannot do one thing for me, even when you are completely useless to me, I am determined to pick you out of the deep and to give you life. Arise. Have new life. And so often we will think of of our relationship with God as, as a measure of how useful are we to God. And it takes someone like Jonah for us to realize, you know, we're kind of completely useless. As we rebel from God, he doesn't need us at all. What do we have that will be of some benefit to God that God will say, thank you, I'm so glad you finally came around because without you, I would be just less of me, less of God. God is completely satisfied, completely whole. And he still calls to us and still resurrects our hearts and still brings his word to us because it's about us in part. It's about us. He loves us. He wants to pursue us. He's determined to reach us. I understand it's difficult in one breath to talk about God's discipline and also to talk about God's grace. But these two things are, are both here. The pain of God's discipline and the beauty of God's grace are right here in the life of Jonah. The truth is, where there is grace and love, there must be godly discipline. If there is not discipline, if there is not this speaking into a broken heart, there is not really true love. Godly discipline is different than condemnation. If God was seeking out to condemn Jonah for his sin, he would have left him, left, let him drown in the ocean, wouldn't he? If God wanted to teach him and punish him for what he had done wrong, he would let him drown. He would let him be digested by this fish. He would let him wander and be on the boat and start a new life and be far from God. But God was not interested in condemning Jonah. He was interested in disciplining Jonah and bringing him to new life. And so he disciplines him. He brings this, it's very clear, he brings these waves, he brings this boat, he brings this fish. And all the while, God is saying, I am giving you life through this. The result that Jonah would have would, would be a life that reaps a greater understanding of God's love, a greater capacity to know God's sovereignty, a greater foundation to stand on of, of real trust and hope and something that is strong and firm. God is saying to Jonah, I'm not a quitter. And you need to know that I'm not going to quit on you. God's discipline to Jonah he disciplines him and then he immediately says, arise. Although I'm disciplining you and chastising you, 
I'm still with you. I'm still pursuing you. I'm determined to give you life. I'm still determined to use you to participate in my plans of salvation to these people who need it. Hebrews 12, chapter 5 says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. That kind of gospel discipline is, is really foreign to almost every other realm that we are involved in in our life other than the gospel that we find in God's word. If you pull a Jonah at, at work, you get fired. If you pull a Jonah at school, you fail. If you pull a Jonah in, in your marriage, it's going to be very very difficult. But we see here that Jonah's not fired. He is chastised by God with love and he's reestablished as God's prophet, as God's man for this task. That is God's grace that he shows to Jonah. So after recommissioning Jonah by his grace and telling him to arise, he tells Jonah, go. Now go, to Nineveh. And I don't think I need Merriam-Webster to define for us what this word means. I think it's clear that this definition, having picked Jonah up by grace, he is now calling him to action. He's now calling him to move and to go in where God has him to go. He's calling him to respond, but to respond in a different way. Jonah is now responding to God as a man with new information about God. So God is saying, Jonah, Act, but act not as your old Jonah, but act with new information. Act as a Jonah who knows new things about me. Go with this new, this new artillery, this new foundation, this new strength that you know in me. Don't go as the old man, but go as a new man. You've probably said yourself in different contexts, if I knew then what I knew, what I know now. You've said that. Because you realize that as you grow and learn things about yourself, about others, about God, you get new information, and you realize that information is very important in deciding how you're going to live your life and how you're going to act and how you're going to go. It's been said, I've heard it said, that um, inf- right information leads to right application, leads to right life transformation. And what that means is that when we have the right information about God and we apply it to our life in the right way, what we're going through right now, it will lead to true transformation in our hearts, in our souls. That when we pursue God and what he has for us with God and what we know about him, it can be very good. The implications of that can be very good and very tragic if we go with the wrong information. And God is saying, go now as a man with new information about who I am. God is giving Jonah the opportunity to go as one who truly believes that God is in control and he can do anything he wants. For it said, we are only as secure as our greatest treasure. This means if we stand on something weak, if we hope in something weak and trust in something weak, then ultimately we are weak at our core. We are weak. We are as men and women who stand on, on shifting sand. We are only as secure as a thing that is our greatest treasure, our greatest hope. 
And if we stand on something flawed, then, then eventually we will come to a place where we are without hope. And that thing will fail us. We can't live our lives very long trusting in our integrity, our character, our money, our moral righteousness, because all of those things will fall short. There must come a time when we go and live our lives based on something that does not shift, does not change. And it can't be anything but the character of God. It cannot be anything but God himself. And so he is saying to Jonah, you know me now better than you did before. Don't trust in yourself. Go and trust in who I am. I'm not going to give up. And so Jonah is able to say, we, in, in here in verse 3, Jonah leaves. He follows. He obeys God. A lot different than the first one where he fled from God. God has boundless determination. And this means that God is relentlessly determined to accomplish his plans. Do you believe that? That God is relentlessly determined to accomplish his plans for you, for his glory and majesty, for his kingdom, that nothing will get in the way of God accomplishing his plans. One of my most cherished verses in all of scripture that I go to in times of weakness is Isaiah chapter 40. Verse 28, you can read along here. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. All of that is true. Because all of what we know about God is true. That He is determined. That He is strong. That He is mighty. That He is not weak. That He does not quit. I came across this sign at my friend's house this week that read... What would you do today if you knew you couldn't fail? And I thought two things. Either this sign could, this sign could go either way. Either it's incredibly cheesy, and I need to, by obligation, make fun of my friend. <laughs> and, and never let it go. Or this is, is, is thoroughly biblical, and I need to embrace it and find out where they got that sign so I can put it on my desk. You don't want it inside my head. These are things that I think about all day long. <laughs> See something like that, and I can't sleep until I figure out if it's biblical or not. And the way I went around determining this answer, is this true? Should we be thinking in that way? Should we be pursuing life and going as God has sent us to go, as ones who really should think that we cannot fail? And I came across this verse. This came to my mind in John chapter 6. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not be hungry, Whoever believes in me shall never, never thirst. But I say to you, and this is Jesus saying, I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, 
not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. Get this. That I should not lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Do you see what Jesus is saying? What he is showing us is there is no greater determination. There is no greater expression of God's determination than what we see on the cross. Jesus is saying, God the Father has sent me to save those who look to me. And I will not lose any one of them. Not a single one. That is my goal. That is my purpose. That is my mission. That all that the Father has given to me, I will die for them, and not a single one will I lose. Jesus is saying, I am determined to accomplish God's plans, and I will not fail. And when he died on the cross, and he said what? He said, it is finished. What is finished? That mission, that goal. That I have not lost a single one that have accomplished what I needed to accomplish for them. I hope you see this conviction in Jesus. This is one of the great moments that we get to see the character and personality of Jesus, that he is not a weak man. He is a man of sorrow, but he is not a man that is weak. He is not a man that is a quitter. He is not a man that trusts in the heart of other men. He is a man that trusts in God, the Father, and his character. He says, I cannot lose. I will not lose. Because this is what my father is like. Those who hunger and thirst for freedom from themselves, who look to Christ and who come to me, I will not lose. Those who cry out to God like Jonah and says, salvation belongs to the Lord. My hope is in you. Those people are never lost. The cross is God's greatest statement of determination that he is not a quitter. How many opportunities did Christ have, did Jesus have, to go back, to look back and say, I can't do this? How many opportunities did he have through his life of ministry and the last week of his life that was the worst and most tempting for him to abandon that mission, to abandon that work that he needed to do? How many opportunities? We see throughout Scripture so many Every time he was spit on, every time he was mocked, every time he was tempted by the devil, every time his friends, his closest friends betrayed him, every time his friends were confused by his message, he had opportunity to feel feel weary of the journey and say, I can't keep going. But he was determined to do what God called him to do. What would change in your life? if you had that kind of determination? Would your marriage look different? Would, would your family look different? Would your work ethic look different? Would your goals look different? Or altogether, would you have different goals? What would your life look different if today, right now, you said, I cannot fail? I bet you would do a lot more of a lot other things, or maybe even the same things. You're thinking, but that quote is a little unfair, Pete, because I'm going to fail. Right? You're saying that. I know you're saying that, because I say that. 
And that means there is something in you that is not quite yet like Jesus. There is something in you that does not trust in God as Jesus trusts in God. There's something in you that is resting in something else, some, some character that you have, some opportunity that someone else has given you, some fear that you don't know how you're going to overcome. There's something in you that is saying, but what if, God, but what if you do give up? But what if you do quit? But what if I'm not okay? And then we start thinking that way, and then we think, well, I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. I've, failed. I've, I've fallen so many times. And Jonah isn't there. He's not there. He's, he's not at a place where he can go and, and, and with that full confidence. And, and what we see from the, the story as it unfolds that, sadly, Jonah, I don't think, really ever gets there, at least in our story. He never really gets to that point. But remember, this book is about God. It's mainly about God and who he is. Our lives must be about God. Our lives must not be about defining our potential based on our character, but on trusting in God's character knowing more information about God and applying that to our life so that we would be transformed by it, that everything that we do, we do as people who are sent out and live our lives as people who are secure, eternally secure in what God has done for us. That we cannot fail. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's what we read in Scripture. And it's natural to look back at that and answer back and say, lots of people, lots of things can be against me. The act of trusting and following is the third thing that God tells Jonah. He says, listen. Now, he doesn't say that word in this passage, but it's implied. He says, arise, go, and call out the message that I am going to tell you. The Christian life requires not only asking of God, but a great deal of listening, a great deal of having our ears open and waiting on God to speak to us. <clears throat> the going and listening can sometimes feel like you know, this life of a Christian of, of walking forward and listening to God as we go can often feel like someone rubbing their tummy and patting their head. <laughs> and that's how you feel as a Christian. You feel like someone who's trying to pat their head and rub their tummy at the same time, and you're uncoordinated. I think it's okay to admit that we are uncoordinated as Christians when it comes to doing this, to walk by faith and listen to God at the same time, to act, to be obedient, and to always listen to God with an open ear, to have eyes that see forward and ears that listen. We're uncoordinated. It's like we can do one or the other. What we usually do is this. We we live our life, we're obedient to God, we neglect hearing from God, we fail, we recognize that in our heart, we come back to God and say we're sorry, and then we start the process all over again. We get this hunger for God, we pursue Him, we close our ears, we sin, we say, how did I do this? God, please forgive me. He forgives us. He says, arise. We get back up, and we do the same thing over and over again. It's why some of us might be in this just habitual, repetitive pattern of weakness, of, 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 of repenting of sin and confessing sin and those things just keep happening over and over again. Why do these things happen? Because you're not listening to God. You might have a hard time listening to God if you relate to any of these. Put these up on the slide. 
You find yourself repeating sins that you previously repented of. I just mentioned that. You're in this place where you say, why do I keep doing what I keep doing? I hate what I do. Why do I keep doing it? You're a chronic worrier. You worry about so much. You're not, you, you don't have this, this confidence in God, even in the midst of chaos and confusion. Because you're not listening to what God is saying to you. That he's, he's saying to you, I'm determined for you. I am with you. I am present with you. I am taking care of your life. I am taking care of the future. The future belongs to me. If we were to listen to those words from God in Scripture, we would not worry as much. You're a Christian who constantly fears God's condemnation. Maybe that's you. Every time you mess up, you think God is going to let you die. That he is going to quit on you. Then you're listening. You're listening, but you're listening to the wrong voice. You're listening to Satan. You're listening to the enemy that condemns you rather than convicts you and gives you life. You go days or weeks without reading the scripture. Church doesn't count for that, okay? I'm talking about reading the scripture in your personal time of reflection of devotion. You go days, weeks, months with sitting down and hearing God. You can't hear from God if you're never face-to-face with his word, spending time in prayer with him. It's very difficult. You often lack wisdom when approached with difficult situations. If you're a person, like I feel at times, when a difficult situation is presented and you're just like, I have no idea what to do. I feel so confused. What's right? What's wrong? You might have a hard time listening to God because God is full of wisdom. And he says, I'm wise. If you lack wisdom, ask me and I will give it to you. So if we listen to God's wisdom as it's presented in his word, we will grow in that understanding. We'll grow in that wisdom. We'll grow in, in being more effective and competent to, to face the challenges that come our way numerous times a day. Your relationship with God is often described by yourself as stale. Thinking, yeah, you know, I, I listen, I, I'm, I'm a Christian, and, but my relationship is just really stale. It's not doing anything. It's not going anywhere. It, yeah, I could be either way. I, nothing's really happening. Maybe you're not listening to God. These aren't exhaustive. They're not exclusive. And they might not even apply to you. These are just some. Now, you know what a determined person who doesn't listen well to God is? Stubborn. You may think that you're a really determined person, but you might just be really stubborn. (laughs) A stubborn person is a determined person without a servant's heart. A A stubborn person is a determined person without open ears. What God wants Jonah to hear is the same thing that he wants us to hear through the words of Christ. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see this? Jesus is telling us exactly what God is telling Jonah. In other words, he's saying, arise, go, and listen. He's saying, get up. Pick up your cross. I'm calling you to be a disciple. I'm calling you into relationship with me. I'm calling you into forgiveness. I'm calling you into salvation. I'm commissioning you by my grace to be my man, to be my woman, to repent of your sins, to leave a life of rebellion, and to leave a life of hoping in vain things, and to trust in me. Arise, get up, follow me. He says, go, go as I go. Follow me as your teacher. Follow me as your savior. Rely on my character as you go in your life. Look to me, and wherever I go, then you go. 
If I sacrifice, then you sacrifice. If I serve, then you serve. If I say yes, then you say yes. If I say no, you say no. Do as I do. Jesus is saying, you can follow me, and my way is good because I, I do everything that the Father tells me. Everything I do is good. Everything I do is godly. Everything I do will lead to life. And then he says, follow me. Listen. You're not going to know what life brings tomorrow. You're not going to know what is around the corner. You possibly can't. You can't know what is going to happen with your children, with your relationships, with your work, with your goals. You you can't know exactly what's going to happen. And so Jesus says, have your ears open. I will guide you. I will lead you. Are you listening? Be ready for my instruction. Be a student of my word. Love the word. Love my scriptures. Love praying to me. Love sitting down and getting quiet with me. The word is, is bread to your soul. God never tells us to live according to our potential. He never tells us, you're better than this. Start acting like it. He says, arise, go, and listen to me. Arise, go, and listen. These are the dance steps to a relationship with God that is abundant, that is good, that is full of life. Arise, go, and listen. For some of us, our struggles in life with and, and with God can often stem back to a failure to believe in who God is. Our struggles stem from our bad information that we are trusting in. I want to close with this brief story of, of my struggle through knowing this determination of God and this character of God. It's one of those, if I knew then what I know now, kind of stories. In 1999, I moved to Tucson from northern Kentucky to go to the U of A. And after my first year, I moved back to Kentucky and enrolled at Eastern Kentucky University. Go Colonels. And, Colonels, yeah. And uh, in Richmond, Kentucky. I was motivated by a few reasons. My first year at the U of A, I had met some great Christian guys. I was a part of a really good Christian community. And frankly, I wanted to get away from that. I was tired of living a double life. And, and they were going to find out sooner or later, later. And so I chose one of those lives. And I chose the life that was away from God. And so I moved to Kentucky to get away from that. I checked into my dorm room, and something happened to me on the second day that I was there. I was being hounded by God's guilt. I was being hounded by conviction. I was being hounded by my sin and the way that I had rebelled from God and run from God and went to another state across the country to get away from God's voice, from his influence in my life. And after several hours of just resisting that and trying to get my mind off of God, I I broke down. I cried out to him and asked him, could he forgive me for all that I had done? And that answer was so obvious to me. I knew that he had loved me. And for the first time, I knew that as a sinner, God had loved me and was calling me to arise, to get up. And it was the grace of God because I knew uh, you s- go to somebody else. Talk to somebody else. Don't, don't have a relationship with me because you, you're not going to like what you get. And I asked him for forgive me after months of, 
of hating him, I truly felt for no reason that made sense to me that he was determined to love me. And he was going to do it whether I liked it or not. And honestly, I didn't like it. I didn't want him to love me. That day, I purchased a plane ticket to fly back to Tucson, Arizona, my Nineveh, (laughs) the place that I'd never wanted to go. I thought, I'm going to be here four years, and then as soon as my four years are up, I'm gone. Okay, that didn't work too well. Didn't happen. It was one of those days on the plane, I remember so clearly, I'm flying on the plane, I get on a plane out of Louisville, Kentucky, flying into Tucson, Arizona, direct flight, and it was one of those days where it was clear skies. No, it was to Phoenix, Louisville, Phoenix. Clear skies, country to country, coast to coast. And so 30,000 feet up, I'm, I'm seeing the climate and the landscape change as I fly to Phoenix. And it goes from green to yellow to red to dead. Okay. <laughs> and I remember being in the plane and looking out my window because I had a window seat. And I'm thinking, oh, God, what have I done? I did it again. I made a mistake. I'm making the wrong wrong decision. I hate flying, but it was one of those things where I was like, I want to stay up here forever. Like, don't let the plane land, because I don't know what is down there. I don't want what is down there. It terrifies me. Maybe I could become a flight attendant and just walk around here forever. I mean, I'm thinking, how could it be possible? And I thought, the plane's going to land. I honestly thought, I'd, I'd rather crash and die than land safely and have to live this life of completely not knowing what God is going to do. And the great spiritual truth that I came to learn shortly after landing was something that has been so true for me, and that's found in the book of Romans. I could say it in my own words, but this says it so much better, that God's determination will outlast our strength to follow him. Romans chapter 8. And we know that for those who love God, All things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Notice that God does not say, I make bad things good. Because bad things are bad things. What he says is, bad things will never get in the way of the good that I'm determined to do in you. I'm not a quitter. That's what he was saying to me. And he has proven that. From that day of flying and landing to every day after, I remember that God is not a quitter. And even when I feel like quitting and I feel like God is about to quit, I'm reminded that he's saying, I am not going to give up. I am determined We are only as secure as our greatest treasure. And when God is our greatest treasure, we have a determined Lord of all the universe that pursues us and forgives us and loves us. And we rest in that. And he says, now let that change your life.
What you know now, let that change the way you live. Let that transform you. Let it transform us. Let's pray. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Thank you.